You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So I'm going to minister on something that uh, that I've never I've mentioned, but I've never actually taught on. And uh, I, I have a Actually, I have an entire, I just wrote another book. It's getting edited right now, and it's on this subject. It's kind of funny because I taught, I, I wrote something that I've never taught, which is, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I just, <laughs> people are like, what are, you, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm just following the Lord. What are you doing? Because last time I checked, when you follow the Lord, sometimes you don't know what you're doing day to day. You just follow him. That doesn't mean you don't get prepared and all that kind of stuff. I'm not, I don't mean you'd be goofy with it, but you just, you just do what God tells you to do. But I had, I had a word come to me about writing a book on this particular topic, and I realized that I never ministered on this. I've mentioned it, but I've never really ministered on it, so I'm excited to release this to you today. And I'm only going to give you a small portion, and really my goal is that you'll go and buy my book. I'll give you a teaser. No. Trust me, writing until you get to a point to where like a lot of people know about your material, writing books is a losing business. But when God tells you to do it, it doesn't matter how much money you put into it. What matters is that people get the things that God has put in you to help them in their life. So that's what it's all about. It's not about selling books. But I am going to give you a teaser. So when it comes out, you will want to go and buy it because I don't know when I'm going to have time to minister the rest of it. So we've got um, this week I'm going to minister and then we've got the whole month of May, well, I'll minister the last month of May, but we've got a whole month of hearing other people that God's raised up to release the word of the Lord in the month of May from in the church. And it's been a dream of mine. So you guys are going to be here. You're going to support them. You're going to amen them. You're going to give them more smiley faces than what you give me. Amen. I'm just kidding. You guys are fine. You look, you look amazing. But uh, we're going to really support them in that. And so I'm going to minister the last month of May. I'm sorry, the last week in May, and then I won't minister the first week in June. So I feel like I've got a lot to say and a little bit of time to say it. So we're going to get going here. So go to Genesis chapter 4. You should already be, be there. And what I want to share with you is about, uh, it's about a vagabond spirit, or we could say a vagabond mentality. And this isn't one of the most prevalent things that you'll, you'll hear about, but uh you know, most of the time I introduce people to the Holy Spirit, but today I'm going to introduce you to a vagabond spirit. And the truth is, is that every one of you have come in contact with this mindset, with this reality, and with this spirit at some point in your life. And some of you maybe have even overcome it. You just didn't realize what it was that you overcame. And I don't think that there is a, there's a huge importance on naming demonic spirits. You know, there, years ago, people were into doing deliverance things, and they were real into, like, you know, what's your name? And then the spirit would answer back, oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not into that kind of stuff. But when you identify something, clarity comes, understanding comes, and then you know what you're dealing with. So there's a reason why we would talk about different entities, different principalities, different spirits, the spirit of fear. For example, I've dealt with and helped a lot of people through a spirit of fear. And I don't just say, oh, whatever you are, demonic spirit, be done. I say, no, the spirit of fear. Why? Because when that person gets set free, they'll realize what they've been set free from. So we don't need to be overly skilled in the workings of the enemy. We need to be very skilled in the workings of Jesus. 
But it's, it also does us a benefit to not be ignorant of Satan's devices, like what Paul said. So we're just going to become a little less ignorant today concerning the spirit of vagabond, what it looks like, how it operates, and how you can, you can overcome it. And hopefully I'll hit all of those things in the time that I've got. Uh, but it's a big, to- a big topic, and um, I've only got just today to do it. So we'll just, we'll just see how it goes. Hallelujah. So, you know, the spirit of, of vagabond, and, and some people would say, well, I don't think that there is a spirit of, of vagabond. Well, let me just say this, that there's a lot of spirits that people have learned to identify because the Holy Spirit will help you understand things in the spirit. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the, to the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love, who love him, but he will reveal them to him through the spirit. So God will reveal things that are unknown to you that are good through the Holy Spirit and your spirit. He also can help you understand things that are even bad and reveal them to you so you can have understanding of how they work. People that remain ignorant of how the spiritual realm works, it's a decision. Because if you press into the Lord, God will reveal things to you. So we've gained understanding about different demonic spirits, such as the spirit of fear. I already mentioned that. The spirit of Jezebel, a spirit of Absalom. And I don't really minister. I don't spend a lot of time on these things because I'm not going to give the devil too much credit. Amen. He doesn't deserve credit. But it's just when you identify something, you can begin to see how it works. So a lot of demonic spirits, when people think about demonic spirits, they often think about, you know, people being possessed and flopping on the floor and foaming at the mouth. And that can be a reality. Jesus dealt with that. We've seen some of those things. But what I've found is that a lot of times the way that the enemy works is it works to train people. As a matter of fact, hold your place in Genesis. So let's pull this up on the screen. We're going to go to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, I believe it is. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. And let me show you something here, and this will help paint a little bit better picture. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, how many of y'all believe that we're living in the latter times? Amen. We're, we're at least closer than we were yesterday. Um, that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, let me say something really important here. Sometimes people think that when it comes to, like, demonic spirits, that they only touch people or vex people that aren't saved. And this verse will totally blow that out of the water. Many other verses do, too. And our own experience will tell us that the enemy messes with people, messes with believers. But notice that you can't depart something that you weren't first at. So if the only way we're going to depart from this service is for the preacher to get done so we can all get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. The only come on. It's at least halfway funny. Come on. Is to depart. The only way we can depart from here is that you first had to have been here first, then you can depart, right? So when it talks about departing from the faith, you had to have been in the faith or with the faith or you know, you had to have been in faith to be able to, to depart from it. So this is talking about believers, and the next part verifies it even more. So these people will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Understand this, that the way that deceptive spirits work, or that spirits work, is through deception. The enemy does not have great power. He has great deception. This is why you go all the way back to the garden, and he came... He didn't come as a hippo or as a rhinoceros or a giraffe, right? He came as a snake. Why? Because it says that the snake was the most cunning beast 
and, and all of the, the earth or all of the garden, however it says it. And so he's, he works through deception. Jesus has completely disarmed the enemy. He is powerless. He has stripped all of the power uh, from him. And so he doesn't have power against us. What he has is deception. And so it says that deceiving spirits, and they'll give heed to, to uh, seducing or deceiving. Some translations say seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. I wish I had time to go on and read the rest of it because it's like, whoa, it's the day we're living in. But let me just stop right here because I want to go back to Genesis chapter 4. But it says they'll give heed to seducing or deceiving spirits, meaning that people have the ability to be deceived. And nobody wants to believe that they could be deceived. Nobody wants to believe that. But that's the nature of deception is that you don't know you're being deceived. The antidote for deception is the truth. We simply have to know the truth, and the truth will set us free, and the truth will also keep us free. So people will give heed to seducing spirits or deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That word doctrines there, I'm not going to try to tell you what the Greek phrase is because I can't pronounce it, but it's not so much about what you learn as it is about how you learn. Doctrine is line upon line, precept upon precept, concept upon concept. That's what it means to have doctrine. Well, you can have good doctrine, and you can also have bad doctrine. How many of y'all know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God give us good doctrine, right? It's things that we believe. It's building blocks. It's the foundation of everything that we're about. That's good, that's good doctrine. But the enemy also works to create bad doctrine. It works to have building blocks inside of people to make them believe things and latch onto things that are really not of God. So we have to understand that we have the ability through the Lord to be able to latch onto things, just our, even not even through the Lord so much, but just our, it is through the Lord because He created us that way. Human beings have the ability to latch onto things, be it good or bad. So we have to understand this. We have a God who's on our side. We have a spirit, the helper, the teacher, the instructor that will lead us into all truth. Whatsoever it was that Jesus taught us, he gave us the spirit to make it come alive on the inside of us and to cause revelation to come. But not only do we have a Holy Spirit, we also, not we don't have, but there are demonic spirits that work to trip people up, to trick people, to deceive them, to get them into what, being possessed and rolling around on the floor? It could be that, but according to this scripture, it's to deceive them and bring them into doctrines that are of demons. It's belief systems, ways of thinkings that derive from demonic spirits. Everybody say, I am not going to be deceived because I'm going to know the truth and I'm going to remain free. Hallelujah. So, I could take a whole seven more hours and talk about this particular topic, but I just wanted to hit that to start this thing and to help us understand that deceiving spirits deceive people, but they don't just deceive them to try and get them to go off and just do wild and crazy stuff. Sometimes the deception leads people into a lifestyle parallel to what seems true, but they never seem to have the fruit in their life that they want to have happening in their life. This is why you can have somebody that will be right inside the middle geographically and even relationally with people, they're, they're in step or so it seems, and they go through their whole life and they always have problems and they don't ever have solutions. They deal with fear, but they're not operating in love. 
And they have a vagabond mentality, and they don't have the fruitfulness that would come if they didn't have that vagabond mindset, which what I, I'm going to get into in just a second. But it's like the enemy, oftentimes, it's not about having people way off in the left field. If he can get them there, yeah, he'll get them there. But sometimes it's about just getting people. What he's trying to do is to get people retrained in their thinking to believe things wrong, and then they'll walk according to that wrong thinking. Does, does that make sense? So it's not always the enemy. Not every demonic spirit works the same. There's not just there's not just Satan. It's not just him. Satan has a a rank and file in his kingdom. And all he did was take what God does and he tried to build the same thing and then he just perverted it. He did a very poor job and then he perverted it. So the Lord has a rank and file in his kingdom. You have God the Father, you have Jesus, his son, the Holy Spirit, and then there are angelic beings, good angelic beings, and then you have, you know, the leadership in the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You have elders, you have deacons, you have the whole church. There is a rank and file to how things go. The enemy has taken that same idea, and he's built his own kingdom. And he has principalities and powers and demonic spirits and different things that they literally have assignments. And if we can just have our eyes opened up a little bit, not and just demystify the whole idea of, about how demonic spirits work and just realize that a lot of these demonic spirits work to get people into bondage, even that love Jesus. Because if the enemy can't get people to not get born again and to not love Jesus, he'll try to get them into wrong thinking that will keep them in cycles that are destroying their life. Because the enemy, he works in, in cycles. And what happens is that, and here I am, I'm going way further into this than I wanted to, but it's so good. The enemy will work to, to get people in cycles because how many of y'all know that he doesn't have unlimited resources? He'll get people in cycles. He believes them and go and mess with other people, leaving them in the messed up cycle, in fear and torment and poverty and whatever it is, because he has come in and his cohorts and all of the ones underneath of him have come in and have deceived people and built doctrines of demons, leaving them in a mess when he's actually, in some cases, no longer actually influencing those people. It's the systems that are influencing those people. As I going to say, this is similar to how, like, socialism and communism also works. You get evil people that come in, and they build a system and get people in the system and perpetuate in that system, and they go and take all of your money and live a lavish life. Well, we're stuck in a broken system, but we're not going to go down that road at this time. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, communism and socialism is of the devil, but we're not going to get into that right now, Okay. So let's go to Genesis chapter 4. Y'all understand we've got a crash course on how the, how the spirit realm works a little bit here this morning, how the enemy works. And we took it right from the word. It's deceiving spirits, and they build doctrines of demons. So a vagabond spirit or a vagabond mentality. Here's what I want you to understand about this. Yes, I believe that there is a vagabond spirit, but I don't want to put an overemphasis on that. I want to put an emphasis on... The fact that people have been trained in this mentality, and I'm going to explain to you what a vagabond mentality is. And do I think they've been trained by demonic spirits or a spirit of vagabond? Yes, I absolutely believe. And it's left people fruitless, 
because they're not rooted, and it's also left people not covenant or not covenant-minded, not connected with people like God intended for us to be. I'm going to get into some of those things, and it's going to really help you out a lot. Let's look here on Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses, and then I'm going to come back and share some things on this, but I feel like I need to read this or I'm never going to get this out. So let me read this. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have, acqu- I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Now, just what seems apparent to the readers, to us, is that he's angry and his countenance has fallen because God didn't receive his, his offering. And so you would read that and go, well, obviously, Lord, we know the answer is because you didn't receive his, his offering. Well, the question is, why didn't he receive his offering? So there could be some different things said into why the Lord didn't receive his offering. But Hebrews tells us that by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So it definitely was a faith issue. Now, why was Abel in more faith than Cain? I'm not 100% certain about this, but I have a couple of you know, different theories. Uh, one of them would be that uh, Cain brought just an offering, but Abel brought of his first. So let me give you a little side lesson here. Always give to God first in your life. I'm not saying that God's going to be angry at you. This different time, we have a new covenant in Jesus, but the principle still stands. Give to God first. Always give to God first. That could be that could be one reason. Another reason, maybe, why God didn't receive Cain's offering and did Abel's was that Abel brought of his firstborn, so he brought something to sacrifice, something alive to sacrifice, while Cain only brought of the ground. Now, first glance, you would say, well, Cain was a, was a tiller of the ground, so that's what he brought. So that kind of makes sense. But it makes me wonder, and this is a supposition, and this is just some of my thinking, what kind of conversations did God have between the fall and the garden and the point to where they brought offerings? What did he tell them? Because he had given them instructions to give offerings. Otherwise, he would have been unjust for not receiving Cain's offering. He gave them instructions to bring offerings and as to how to bring offerings. If you look at the very first sacrifice that was made, it was when Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves, but God came in and he made tunics of skin, which, mean, which means that God killed animals to cover over Adam and Eve. It was the first sign, first type and shadow of the coming Jesus that would cover the sins of man. Let me give you a little tip on understanding the covenant that we're in now. Don't go to the old to try to understand the new. Receive the new through the power of the preaching of the gospel, what it says. But then when you go back to the old, you'll see Jesus in everything. 
I am of the opinion that the Lord gave instructions to them and probably said, yeah, you can bring me something of the ground, but make sure you kill something. Because what is coming and is required for man is going to require blood to cover all of the sins of man. And I want to make sure that people really understand what is required to be able to cover everything that man has gotten themselves into. That's my opinion. It doesn't say that there. That's my opinion. But why was it that God didn't receive the offering of, of, of Cain? We don't know all of the answers. Those are a couple of my thoughts as to what happened. But either way... The Lord was not pleased with it. And so I think we're down into verse 7. It says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel and his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, now can you see that there were already some things working in Cain that were not good? Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He, he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Genesis is a book of first. In this chapter, we have the first woman born, first man, first baby born to a woman. Um, we have the, uh, um, the first ki killing, the first murder. And we also have the first mention of the word vagabond here. And so this is really important. Whenever you see the first of something, it sets precedent for everything that comes after it. That's very, very important to understand that when reading the word. Whenever you see it first mentioned in the word, there's precedent that gets set from the first mention. So when you look at this, it's very interesting because the Lord said in verse 12, he says, when you till the ground, it should no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Now, I want you to go back to verse 2, and I want you to see what it says in verse 2 about Cain. It says, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the ground, but Cain, excuse me, Abel was a, a keeper of the ground. He was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now go back to verse 12. He says, a, a, a fugitive, he said, when you till the ground, the beginning of verse 12, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be upon the earth. The thing that he was known for, he became known opposite for. And I'm going to propose something to you, that a vagabond mindset will strip you of the identity that God has given you. And I believe that Cain was already operating in a vagabond mindset. Here's the reason why. A vagabond, one of the dictionary definitions of the word vagabond is the word tramp. And when we think of tramp, you know, you could think of Lady and the Tramp. And, you know, the tramp was out and just tramping around, right? And was not, didn't really have a steady place. But the most accurate rendering or understanding of the word tramp in, spe in specific is somebody who is not, uh, I'm trying to be careful because kids are in the room, uh, is not committed to one person in that sense. 
And when you look at a marriage and when you look at what takes place inside of a marriage, there is a covenant. Everybody say covenant. There is a covenant that's there. And when you have somebody, uh, somebody, and it's usually in reference to a woman in our culture, but it can be a man or a woman, you have somebody that goes outside of that covenant in that sense. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm talking in code because kids are in here. In that sense, they could be labeled as a tramp, which is another word for a vagabond. Vagabonds aren't covenant-minded. Cain was not covenant-minded. How do we know this? Because nobody would kill their brother if they were really thinking in terms of covenant. Oh, Jesus. This is, this is, we need this. The church, this is a message. Everybody listening that doesn't even come here, you need to share this. You need to like this. People need to hear this word. If you're watching it on replay, share this. People need to hear this word. One of the biggest problems that we have in the church today is that people aren't covenant-minded. I personally believe it's because they've been vexed by a spirit of vagabond. They will come into a church. You want to know, sometimes people look around, they're like, Pastor, where's everybody at? Vagabond. Sometimes they're just out of town. There's some people, like quite a few people that are out of town. Don't be like coming back and be like, oh, let's cast it out. <laughs> Don't do that. But sometimes we go through, through streaks, and, and God calls people different things, and, you know, we bless people as they go. Our goal really is to be able to send people, that kind of stuff. So there's, there's plenty of room for that. But a lot of times what happens is that people come into a church, which is a family, it's supposed to be anyways, is a family, and they're not covenant-minded. They've come into a covenant, but they're not covenant-minded. Because uh, when you are, uh, uh, and you take the example of Cain and Abel, they were in a covenant because they came from the same womb. It's automatic. You have a covenant with your siblings because you came from the same womb. Blood creates covenant. And when a baby is born, there's blood involved. It's not bad. Don't worry, kids. It's not bad. It's just normal, natural. But, and then you have another child that comes from the same womb. Now, you may grow up and not be close or whatever, but it doesn't mean that there's not a covenant there. It just maybe means that people aren't covenant-minded. Well, we have come into the body of Christ through what? It's the blood of the Lamb. And when we come in and you have people getting mad, getting upset, getting offended, sometimes even wanting to kill each other. You know what that is? That's people not being covenant-minded. Offense, is that, the, is that the, the root of a lot of it? And it's, you know, not usually a physical killing. We have security for that. Anybody that wants to? <laughs> it's not a physical killing, but it's, a, it's, it's sometimes almost could feel as bad because you come in and you're brought near, and the next thing you know, somebody does some tramping. And they go out and they cut their brother and their sister down. 
It's got to come to, it has to come to an end. It needs to come to an end on a local level, and it needs to come to an end on a regional level. It needs to come to an end on a state level and a national level and a worldwide level. And eventually it will because Jesus is going to come riding on a white horse, and he's going to cut all the nonsense out when he wins the battle of Armageddon. And we are going to come into to a one world that God designed. The enemy's been trying to pervert it. And this is why he's trying to bring about a one world government. But he's actually trying, unbeknownst to him, is trying to fulfill something that God has already designed. God has a plan for there to be a one world, but it's just as Jesus as the king and the ruler. There won't be any more voting at that point. No more election fraud. Hallelujah. We won't need to, never mind. <laughs> we won't have to talk about it anymore. Let's just say that. So this idea of covenant has to be returned back to the church. And I believe that, that part of the reason why people are not covenant-minded is because they've been vexed with the spirit of vagabond. So what I, I believe happened is that the Lord essentially cursed Cain to a lifestyle that he had already entered into. And you say, well, I'm not sure if that's it. Again, only somebody who is not covenant-minded, who has a, a wandering mindset, if you will, willing to just cut ties like that. People that are under the spirit of vagabond will cut ties just like that. That's why you can have somebody come in there, this is my church, I love this place, this is awesome. They're with you for a year. And then somebody says something, I wear a color shirt they don't like, come on, y'all like my new shirt? Amen. Wear something they don't like, whatever, the, something silly, and they leave. Why? Because the thing was just so egregious? No, because they're not covenant-minded. If they were covenant-minded, they would say, nothing's going to keep me between me and my people that God's called me to. But, I mean, it's not, it is nothing. I mean, I have gone, I've been doing this for a lot of years. This is hard to say, like, in the first year, because then it was like, oh, I know who they're talking about. But you don't know, because it's been a lot of years that I've been doing this. But people, I mean, they come in and they, they're like, God's called me here. This is the place. I'm planted here. I'm not going anywhere, Pastor. Blah. And usually when they say that, I'm like, you know, the, the little bit of the, the, not sarcastic, but the whatever inside of me says, we'll see. But then three months down the road, they disappear. Hey, where you been? Is everything Okay. Well, you know, I just... Rah, 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 rah. And they might have had a legitimate complaint. Guess what? You have complaints about me. Sometimes I have complaints about you, but I don't go anywhere. You don't think in 10 years that I've thought... That's life, man. That's doing life with people. People are aggravating. You are aggravating. But I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You're not really aggravating to me, okay? Sometimes, but not too bad. I'm just teasing a little bit. That's just people. People have to get used to, like, people are people. Everywhere you go, people are people and they do weird stuff. They say funny things. They say stuff that they, sh they shouldn't. You know, most people are socially awkward. And just standing out in the foyer, it's like, hey. And the other one's like, hey. And you walk away and you're like, I just didn't really connect with them or whatever. It's like, well, were you both brought in through the blood of Jesus? Yeah, well, who cares then? 
It's just no problem. Well, they, they told me I looked like I gained a couple pounds. Well, it's probably because you did. And it's probably because they, they also gained a couple pounds and they're trying to find somebody to sympathize with them. So just be in, in covenant and just love people and be in covenant. Because the same blood that covered you is the same blood that covered them. And the same blood that covered them, remember, is the same blood that covered you because you needed it. So vagabonds are not covenant-minded, all right? Let me tell you something else that they're not, is that they're not planted. And because they're not planted, they have no roots. And because they have no roots, they have no fruit. You can't have fruit without having roots, and you can't have roots without being planted. You know, if you were to take a, a flower, and, you know, someone gave you this flower, and you're like, this is awesome, I'm going to plant it. And so you go and you plant it in the front of your house, like this is oh, this beautiful flower or whatever. And you're like, nah, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm not digging it in the front. Let's move it to the back near the patio. I think it's going to be, I'm going to enjoy it. But I sit back there. I'm going to enjoy it back there better. You plant it, you leave it there. You know, a couple days later, you're like, this should be in a window box. Let's put it in a window box. Let's build a window box. Let's put it in a window box. It's going to be great there. You put it in a window box. A week later, eh. I don't know. Let's move it inside. You know what? Nobody in their right mind would do that, right? You would kill that flower. Nobody in their right mind would uproot something that's designed to be planted. Are you saying so-and-so isn't in their right mind? It's exactly what I'm saying. The enemy has vexed their mind and has created a doctrine of demons making them believe that it's okay to uproot to plant, to uproot to plant, to uproot to plant, to uproot to plant. You will kill your future and you will never find out your identity. Because you know what? Your identity, you're not meant, and I'll say more than your identity, but also your gifting and your function I think you could find your identity probably on your own with Jesus. You could. You really discover that. You could. It'd be a lot harder. You could. But you'll never know your function. You know why? Because you weren't meant to function alone. You were meant to function with people. The gifts that are in the body, those gifts that God has given you, they're not for you. They're to bless the rest of the body. So you know what's going to happen? You're going you're gonna to rob Anybody that would come under this mindset, you'll rob your future and you'll rob other people's future by not plugging in, being a part, submitting. People think submission is like a spooky word. They think it's a dirty word. Let me ask you something. How many of y'all know that this is a man of God right here? I mean, raise your hand if you know that this is a man of God. Let me ask you something. Are you submitted to me as the leader of this house? Am I a tyrant? Do I treat you horribly? Do I abuse you? Have I given you a good reason to not submit to the leadership of this house? Would you recommend other people doing that? Do you think that they would grow if they would do that? Do you think that people that are watching online, that if they would submit to the leadership of their house, be it God-given, that they would also grow? So submission's a good thing. It's not a dirty word. Amen. 
I always want to figure out how to say that without me saying that. So he said that, so if you don't like it, you could just take it up with him. (laughs) It, It is literally probably one of the hardest things for ministers to talk about because it really has been abused. You've had preachers and pastors that are like, submit, you know, and if they don't say it like that, you can just feel it. It's kind of like, you better do things my way or you're out of here. You know, that, that is an, uh, that's control. But for people that, that don't come in, come in and submit to what the Lord is doing in that house, and it's not bowing down in homage to me or to another leader. That's nonsense. That's, that is what a cult is. For everybody that's ever said we're a cult because we pray in tongues, that's not cultish. That's biblical. What's cultish is to have a leader rise up and pretend like there's some supreme being. There's only one supreme being, and it's Jesus. But he has given first apostles, second prophets, and then all the rest of the fivefold ministry that when you come under that anointing, it will cause you to blossom in your life. There's an anointing there to do it. Paul told Timothy, he said, preach the word, be in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, reprove with all long suffering and teaching. I was reading that one day and the Lord said, people have to be convincible, they have to be rebukable, they have to be reprovable, and they have to be teachable, whatever all the ones that are. People have to make a decision to say, I'm going to receive from what it is that you have. And here's the thing that I would say is if you like the fruit, eat of it. If you don't, don't. Amen. But the reason that oftentimes that people can't, there's so much I get into, and I'm basically out of time. There's so much that people could, we could get into as to why people don't plant. But let's read this verse here in Isaiah chapter 61. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61, and let's start in verse 1. Isaiah 61. And actually, let's just go to verse, that's fine. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Aren't you glad that in the New Testament it says that Jesus closed the book before he said the day of vengeance of our God and Jesus was reading? It says he closed the book. He closed the book on the, on the vengeance and the wrath of God. But look into the, the next part. It says to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes, you know what that means? That means... That means something possible out of something that's impossible. Once something is burnt and becomes ashes, it can't ever go back. But if you have God, he can make something beautiful out of the ashes that are there. The oil of joy for mourning, I'll receive that, praise God. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You know what glorifies God? When people plant There's different kinds of planting, or I could say it maybe better like this. There's different kinds of roaming, because if someone isn't planted, it's because they're, they're roaming, talking about them. And when you look at vagabond, it's not necessarily a geographical roaming. It's an internal roaming. It's an internal roaming. Let me say this about in verse 12. I'm going to come back to that point I was just making. 
But it says in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 4, going back there, Genesis 4, 12, it says, When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be upon the earth. Why wouldn't it yield its strength? I always thought that it was like the Lord supernaturally suspended the ability of the soil so that it wouldn't produce whenever he planted. But remember, a vagabond is one that roams around. You can go and look up these definitions more on your own. It roams around, and when you roam, then you aren't somewhere long enough to plant to see any fruit. This is why, as a leader, as a pastor, whenever people are like, they come in, they, they're like, we've got all these gifts, and they probably do. I wait to see what kind of fruit is there and to see if they can remain planted. And then I'll give people the moon. As much as I have the ability, I love promoting people. It's like my most favorite thing to do, but it's also the most dangerous thing to do. It's like bungee jumping. <laughs> it's very fun, but you better make sure your cord's on right. So a lot of the idea about a vagabond in roaming, it's not about geographical roaming like it was with Cain. That was a picture of what a spirit of vagabond will do to people, and it will cause them to roam internally. Some people can sit in a church for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and never grow. Why? Because inside they're not planted. They've got issues going on in their soul, fractures in their soul. Could be rebellion. Could be some kind of trauma going on that they've just never been able to consecrate on the inside, if I could use that word, and come to this place of really being settled and planted to where God is able to get a hold of them and teach them something. Not even just the pastor. I mean them personally. It says that in James chapter, uh, James chapter 1, it says, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all liberally and without reproach. But when he asks, let him ask without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave tossed by the sea. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. Somebody who is double-minded. You ever met someone who's been double-minded? I used to be very double-minded. My mom was like, Make a decision. I was like, I want to go to my friends. I don't want to go to my friends. I want to. It's back and forth. People who are double-minded like that, it's not that God won't bless them. He can't bless them. He can't manifest the provision in their life, however you want to say it. Because it's like, you know, if you ever tried to catch a wind, uh, 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 you can't catch the wind either, but I guess if you have a sail, you could kind of catch the wind. You ever tried to catch a wave before you've been to the beach and you try to catch a wave? Uh, you can't do it. As soon as you get out there to it, it's, it's gone. At least for me, I'm too slow, I guess. I can't catch the wave very well. It's like as soon as you get, it's, it's moved and it's moved somewhere else. Just tossed around by the wind. That's kind of how it is with the Lord. Whenever he's trying to get the provision that people have asked for, they ask and they're double-minded, they're doubting, and, and it's like, here it comes, and the next thing you know, they're like, over here. And then the Lord's like, okay, there you are. Here it comes. And then they're back. They're double-minded. They're back and forth. That's somebody who's not planted internally. They're internally roaming. And if we don't plant, 
it is impossible for us to grow. And if you can't grow, you don't grow. You can never produce fruit in your life. What causes real lasting change in our life is not having the prophet or the evangelist or the whoever come and lay hands on you and boom, things change. I've had so many people lay hands on me and I'm thankful for the words and the different things that have come to me. Do you know what has really changed my life? Getting into the word, being steadfast with the Lord, being single-minded, sticking with the people that God's called me to. And over time, growth comes. Why? Because I'm planted where God wants me to be planted. Not only geographically, but internally, and that's where the fight is for most people. This is a spirit that has vexed people for so long. If you, if you want the answer as to, if you're ever at a point to where it's like, why am I not, why aren't things working out? It could be that you're not stable long enough on the inside, and your heart is in turmoil, that as soon as you start to get something, there's no root there, because there's wandering going on and you don't ever have, you don't give it enough time for anything to produce in your life. It's very important. Let me show you one more verse and then we'll close with this. You guys getting something out of this? So much more I want to say, but we're going to finish with this. Mark chapter four. We know this passage very well. Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. And let's look here at verse 13, and I'm cutting right in the middle. This deserves so much more time than what I'm going to give it. It says, and he said to them, Mark 4 and 13, and Jesus is giving explanation to this parable. And it says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? They had come to him. They, he had given a parable, and then they came to him and said, hey, we don't understand this. And he said, look, you got to understand this one. This is, this is the, the meat and potatoes of getting things and understanding how the kingdom works. It says, the sower sows the word. So Jesus, this is Jesus' explanation. Verse 15, and these are the ones sown by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. In verse 17, and they have no root in themselves. There's no root there. And so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. I liken this to a vagabond mindset, a vagabond mentality that people that keep having this, it's like you get a revelation, you're like, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you start to see a little fruit and the next thing you know, it's not there anymore. And it's because you kind of got it, but you didn't really get it. See, when you're going to really get something, it's because you've stuck with the Lord long enough for him to really help you get that thing. And the problem isn't God. The problem is us. Sometimes it takes us a while to get stuff. Hallelujah. We got to give God time to deal with the things or, thing, the thing or things in us that need time. We've given everything else time to work in us things that shouldn't be there, we need to give God time to work things in us that should be there. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, and I want to tell you that God is fixing all the stuff that the enemy has stolen from you. Soon as I got up to preach, that came on me, and I want to tell you, God is fixing all of the stuff that the enemy, he's restoring, is a better way to say it, he's restoring all of what the enemy has stolen from you. The enemy has robbed from you, but he's not going to rob from you anymore. You're a woman of God. You're a woman who has God on the inside of her. 
The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. And everything that the enemy has stolen from you, God is restoring. As a matter of fact, the word says that when a thief is caught, that he has to repay sevenfold. I say go count all the money, count the, uh, the loss of friends, count the, the loss of joy, count everything that the enemy has stolen from you, and then you go ahead and multiply it times seven, and that's what you're going to receive back in this life. He's robbed from you, and he needs to not rob any longer. One of the best words that I've ever learned in my life is no. No. When he comes to you with this thought, no. You ever see that movie, Yes Man? Don't watch it. This, this guy in the whole movie, he's like, yes. He goes to this, this wacko cultish seminar or whatever. Again, don't watch it. And they basically said, this will change your life. Say yes to everything. And every, literally everything that people ask him, he says yes to. What you need to do is just everything that comes across your path that you know is not of God, you just say no to it. You're the no lady. You have a supernatural ability on you to say no. No. Thought comes, no. A bill comes that you know is just unjust or something is going, no, God's fixing this thing. No, you can't have my time. You can't have my kids. You can't have my prayer life. No. And when you do that, when you stand up like that, it'll, it'll just... It'll be like the breath of God over your situation. Just no. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.